Esports webinar brought to you by EdQuarter in partnership with ViewSonic and Fnatic. My name is Jana Ash, I'm the editor of Education Technology. I'm here today with Matt Smith and Luke Adams of ViewSonic and Raphael Rao of Fnatic. And we're broadcasting live from Fnatic's office in Shoreditch. And these guys are going to be talking all about the five reasons to incorporate esports in education. So, over to you guys. Thank you very much and thanks for tuning in. Um, probably best is to start off by some brief introductions, just so you get to know who we are and what we're about. Um, Rafa, if you'd like to go first, just introduce yourself. Yeah, definitely. So, um, hi guys, I am uh, Raphael. I've been working at Fnatic for just over a year now, about seven to eight years of esports experience, and I've been um, here at Fnatic looking after new strategic partnerships, so everything from uh, the start of the partnership and the initial pitch all the way to the um, partnership development and strategy, um, and that's what I've been doing here. Um, my name is Luke Adams, I'm the esports product marketing specialist at ViewSonic. Um, been there for about two years now, um, again, working with the esports solutions, one of which we got behind us. Um, and before that, I spent a few years working in the esports and gaming agency, uh, sort of 360 agency, in a lot of different areas of esports and gaming. And uh, I'm basically uh, from a background in edtech, um, predominantly working on solutions such as the IFP display behind us, which you typically find in a traditional classroom. And uh, sort of over the last 12 months, I've been working with Luke on more of the esports products and also uh, with Fnatic um, based on uh, their partnership with ViewSonic. Um, and as, as part of that, we've kicked out this room with uh, monitors and our interactive flat panel display behind us. And um, yeah, I've basically had uh, a really nice experience to actually bridge the, the edtech and the esports together. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we can go through some of that today and uh, give you a bit of insight in how um, yeah, you might be able to merge the two areas together. Um, I thought it would be good to just give you a bit of an overview of kind of what we're going to go through today. So um, we're going to try and answer what is esports for those that maybe are new to, to this kind of thing. Um, compare that to gaming. We'll also look at why esports in education. So to answer the question, uh, you know, why should you bring esports into education? And uh, what we've come up with is basically five pillars of, of esports. So five reasons that you might want to consider uh, as, as decision making um, aspects of actually bringing an esports program into education. Um, we'll have a look at the IFP solution together with the gaming PCs and how all that connects together into an esports coaching solution. And then we'll also have a look towards the end at sort of how to get started. So for those that might be new, um, some tips and tricks. And finally at the end we've got a Q&A section. So feel free to send your comments, questions, feedback uh, all throughout the webinar. And at the end we'll uh, sit, sit through the uh, questions and answer anything that you've uh, posted. So um, the first topic, let's try and define what is esports. So, um, yeah, I guess over to you and uh, Raph, I think this is one, one for you. Yeah, fair play. Um, esports is quite different to gaming, um, quite a lot more depth to it. The Wikipedia definition we've got is esports, also known as electronic sports, a form of competition using video games. Esports often takes the form of organised multiplayer video game competitions, particularly between professional players individually or as teams. So again, that's Wikipedia, it's generally pretty accurate, but there is quite a lot more to it, which again, I think Fnatic. Uh, you're probably the best person to give us the, the lowdown on that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, kind of understanding first what the, the kind of differences are, right? Um, for gaming, you know, you can pick up your phone, you can install Flappy Bird, and essentially you'll be gaming. You, you're doing some form of gaming, and that it can be all the way from, you know, just having a, 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 playing a video game on your phone, all the way to PlayStation, Xbox, PC. There's a wide range of, a wide range of things you can do in gaming in particular. Esports is a small segment of that, and you've already touched on it. Um, Esports is gaming on a professional scale. Mm -hmm. So, what does that exactly entail? Um, essentially, it is um, everything in a competitive environment. I think uh, perhaps a good analogy to, to go through is perhaps football. So, in football, it's you know uh, eleven players on the field against each other, and then there's um, a certain competitive format and everything else. Well, Esports is the exact same thing. Um, except for you have all these different games, League of Legends, Counter Strike, but all different forms of competitive um, structures and formats and everything else, um, and that's more or less in a nutshell gaming esports. Um, to touch on the landscape, um, I suppose I'll also make another analogy to football. You kind of have the, the triangle at the moment. Uh, I like to refer it to as um, on one side you kind of have the uh, publishers, so the uh, UEFA's, the FIFA's of the world, um, i.e. the for publishers and gaming and esports in particular, that's Valve, Riot Games, Epic Games, these are the 
entities that publish the games, create the games and uh, make the games available to, uh, for everyone to play. Then you kind of have the Premier Leagues of the world, if you will. They are the event organisers. So the event organisers go out and actually create these esports events, uh, you know, rent out these huge arenas, get 15,000, 20,000 people in the arena physically to um, really experience esports, as well as doing the online digital piece, the streaming, um, the, and the online entertainment piece of these esports events, and then, and then you know, they can enjoy that online as well. And then kind of the third piece is the rights holder, the team. Um, so your Man United's, your Chelsea's, your Tottenham's of the world. Um, well, Fnatic is one of them. So Fnatic are an esports team. Uh, we've been around for 15 years. We have over 61 professional players on our roster of talent. Um, we play in 11 different games, uh, just to name a few, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Fortnite, Rainbow Six, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, we, we have talent on our roster. Um, these guys are on professional salaries every single month, um, including some win bonuses. I mean, these guys are set up in professional training facilities, just like this one, all across the globe in places like Sydney, Australia, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Berlin, uh, London here, of course, LA, just to name a few. Um, so it's truly, you know, more and more becoming a lot more professionalizing, fanatic on industry leader and the number one team emerging out of esports and really trying to professionalize the industry and everything else. So, I mean, just to put some context into it, um, these players are, you know, I think one of our biggest players, a reckless guy called Martin, he's been at Fnatic for five years now. He's uh, really, truly a superstar, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers, millions even, and um, he's doing extremely well for himself. I mean, you know, people roughly know what football players make, so to touch on it, I mean, Reckless, aka Martin, he's on a base salary of 500,000 US dollars a year. That's without wing bonuses, that's without incentives, that's without any tournaments. So, if somebody says to you there's no money in esports and gaming, they're, they're lying to you. Like, like, it doesn't mind, you just uh, told him on his salary. Yeah, it's yeah. Sure <laughs> yeah but it's definitely it's a billion dollar industry, as you're saying, and, and that whole sort of triangle network that you've painted a picture of there is supported by billions of viewing hours yeah. uh, of content across all the platforms Twitch, YouTube, and the other streaming platforms. Um, again, content's live or on demand, and among young people especially, even though people up to our age as well, and perhaps beyond, um, yeah, there's, there's huge interest and it just keeps growing. Yeah, and I think from an educator's point of view, um, you know, from me sort of getting involved in esports, which is something I wasn't really doing before ViewSonic, I used to play games and had my first PC when I was sort of six years old and things, but esports, I didn't even really realise this industry was so big and so vast. And uh, for me, it's just the difference between, you know, maybe students playing games on their own or multiplayer games online to having sort of professional organised teams. So it's really just like any other sport, you know, any other kind of club that you might have. And it's kind of that that we're really talking about today. So the eSports is uh, an organised competitive gameplay that can be done within a facility, you know, within an institute, um, you know, as opposed to just having a gaming room where people come and play games and you know, they maybe just self-organise or, or it's, the it's the organisation, it's the structure that you're applying to it, it's the sort of the critical thinking and evaluation and looking to move forward and develop in that area which, which makes esports you know, stand out and have additional benefits from gaming just as a purely sort of hobby-based pursuit which it can be. Sure. Yeah. So what we want to try to do is just kind of highlight um, the five reasons or the five pillars of, of esports and education, kind of give you some ideas about you know what's happening in the industry and the scene, and um, you know what to base some of these decision making processes on. So if we look at why esports and education right now, or why is this a hot topic? Um, well, we know for starters that uh, there's more students in esports uh, clubs at universities than football teams right now, um, which is you know quite a surprising figure. Um, we're also seeing a massive increase in job opportunities, so uh, Indeed.com is reporting 185% increase just in the first half of 2019 alone. Mm. And obviously, as Raf has highlighted, uh, this esports is a huge global industry and it's set to grow rapidly. It's already grown you know, hugely over, say, the last 10 years mm. and it's moving at such a fast pace now uh, that you know, a lot of educators, especially uh, in the US and Europe are really looking to kind of bring this in as part of, uh, you know, as part of the education side of things. Mm -hmm. And really games are there for everybody. I think everyone can, can relate to some sort of game in some shape or form. Um, so as we'll come into, there's lots of these kind of um, interesting ways to relate this to, to the educational journey that you might be on. What about the, uh, the challenges and concerns associated with esports and education? I don't know if you guys can talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, there, there definitely would be concerns um, and potential risks of involving 
gaming or esports in education. I mean, there's it's a fairly um, controversial might be the wrong word, but it's a discussed hot topic now um, of you know gaming seen as sedentary, seen perhaps um, to affect interpersonal skills in some way. Um, but as we'll hopefully go through in a couple of the other slides, there's a lot of ways in which esports kind of tackles that um, and and turns gaming into something that can be more productive and positive. Um, again, there there is. Also, I believe uh, plenty of value in having gaming itself uh, involved in education. It, it plays a role. It's an incredibly creative industry. Um, but esports, as I say, sort of adds some additional benefits and, and structure to that, which we think is really beneficial for the education journey. Yeah, and I would sort of probably second that and say that some of the, the sort of aspects of being sedentary and uh, you know not being as physically active as maybe doing like a sports club or something. Um, if you compare that to say working in an office job, um, the same kind of implications might apply to that, you know, if your profession is, you know, working in an office, as, as many of us are probably doing on a day-to-day -day basis quite a lot, um, you know, you could almost, uh, you know, bring in some of the same aspects of that. Um, but I think in terms of education, it, it is, like we, like we tried to suggest, is it is a difference than just playing the games. So if you think of like parents that are worried that kids are already playing too much games already, or, um, you know, there's gaming addiction and there's some sort of certainly problems that can be associated with that, we hope that through education, um, we can actually face some of those challenges and actually make a positive experience out of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to add to that, um, when it comes to the risk, there's always a level of risk involved with all types of, of you know, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, to, to touch on it, uh, when it comes to education specifically, uh, integrating technology was seen as a risk. Oh, are the screens um, going to affect the students' eyes? Or um, having young kids and um, students having access to the laptops during during class hours is that potentially you know not beneficial I mean there are many different things and you know after a course of time uh, nowadays in universities it's uh, you know mandatory to have a laptop um, uh, in, in the classroom so I mean when it comes to esports in particular and gaming it's a, an amazing way to capture an audience that you may not be able to capture through traditional methods so uh, when it comes to extracurricular activities etc etc which we'll touch on later as well it's a really amazing way to capture students who weren't really interested in studying in the first place and all of a sudden you, you, you know, integrate a gaming and esports into, um, into the education in a, in a fun and authentic and uh, incredible way. All of a sudden you've captured this, this individual who previously might not be as interested, all of a sudden they're now fully on board. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, so I suppose it's, it can be sort of, uh, I suppose being an emerging industry and being a rapidly sort of growing industry there's all these uh, really good points for sort of topics and discussions and there's, there's more and more research coming out um, you know as we'll go through so let's kind of break this down and so we have the five pillars of um, esports so let's go straight into it let's go to pillar one so pillar one is inclusivity through esports and basically what we mean by this is gaming and esports is something that can be open to the whole student body so mm -hmm. inclusivity means um, it's a suitable for those with special educational needs, disabilities, it's not gender specific um, and it also op opens up those opportunities for um, things like community development, team building, confidence um, and you know, the, the opportunity for you know, the positive impacts of having an extra extracurricular club um, you know, that has served the interests of the students basically and maybe from, I don't know, from your experience in the esports scene and being at school, um, you know, maybe there's some um, you know, sort of ideas about how this might have evolved if, if maybe esports was available when you was at school or well yeah good if it was involved if it was on offer when I was at school I'm, I'm sure I would have uptaken it but I think that that's, that's part of it is it's coming in now we are seeing a lot more of it in schools um, and yeah it does open up that that area of the student body which perhaps you weren't engaging before Raf touched on it the, the inclusivity earlier you the gamers maybe are parts of the student body who felt, felt a little isolated, perhaps they're more naturally introverted, though in 2020, I mean, there's also plenty of extrovert gamers as well. Uh, it's not to say that all games are shut-ins, but uh, it's something which can, <coughs> yeah, really capture that part of the student body that might not have been served by your, your sports clubs so far or your art clubs so far, um, and allowing them to feel connected and engaged with the student, uh, with sorry, the school itself. How would an education provider ensure they're offering opportunities for everyone if things like space and money are kind of limited? Okay. I guess it's quite a tricky sort of question to answer, but it all depends on your student demographics. So if you open the option to sort of find out about this from the students, then you can see how much demand is there, you can see what kind of things they want to play, 
and then you can kind of work out, you know, taking that first step just to see if that interest is there. We already know students are playing lots of games, so we know there's a huge target audience there. Um, but it's really that first step, it's finding out, you know, can we promote this, can we do this, is this positive for the school, how do we do it effectively and, and you know, what's the feedback and once you've got that information you can then start to sort of think about how we want to move that forward and hopefully we can touch on some of those things um, kind of as we go along uh, which might you know, give you a bit more insight. Yeah, I was going to mention, I think we may have touched on it, the extracurricular activities on offer being beneficial, you know, any kind of extracurricular activity has a great impact on student learning and student journey. Um, you've got like attendance rates, um, as, as I said before, the interest in school, it can even uh, affect students' grades. Um, often if they're engaged in extracurricular activities as part of the school, they see this you know, stronger connection and much more enthusiasm for their own uh, educational journey, it sort of gives them that connection to it. So those guys who might not have been yeah, feeling that way, this is the opportunity for you as a school to, to bring, it, bring that in. Yeah, I mean, touching on the, the barrier of entry, I mean, some schools looking at this as an option, you know, they're not really hesitant, they're a bit hesitant, they're not really sure whether they should actually implement this. I think, Matt, you raise an excellent point. You know, finding out first whether there's a demand there and then kind of starting off the first steps. I mean, it doesn't have to be super complicated, right? An esports event or some sort of esports slash gaming activity within the school walls can, can be super, something super simple, like you do a mobile gaming tournament, you know, everyone brings their phones, you sit together in the, the, the cafeteria, you have like a little um, tournament format, 10 versus 10, 5 versus 5. I mean, there are plenty of games on the market at the moment. Uh, and you know, as gaming esports is developing, as technology is advancing, the barrier of entry is going to become significantly lower. You know, Gaming is mainstream. Um, you have popular um, pop figures, culture pop culture figures, um, huge artists playing games. I mean, it's it's happening now. It's happening um, not yesterday, not tomorrow. It's it's now. So, for, from a school perspective, it's really important that you capture this audience because you know, five, ten years down the line, um, schools who are doing it, you might just become irrelevant because the schools who are offering this type of um, Offering, you know, that's that's the schools who are going to be um, really capitalising on this opportunity. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that feeds quite nicely into the next slide, really, because it's about the, the school then by bringing this offering to those students who might not have been served before, offering them that potential. You're differentiating yourselves from the, the competitor institutions in your local area or yeah, whoever else you're competing for for the student attention um, to offer them this. Yeah, great new possibility to to engage in, especially if they're already involved in it as a hobby mm. or a pursuit outside of school. Yeah, so I suppose inclusivity might be a reason that you want to open up this avenue to the students. Um, but if you move on to pillar two, this is all about really the differentiation. So by taking that step, uh, by setting up this esports club or team um, or facility, um, you have the opportunity to sort of differentiate yourself as uh, you know as a school or university or educational institute. Um, so you know this could be anything from investment in technology like we have in this room, um, actually you know planning a, an esports team and joining a tournament using the existing equipment that you might already have. Um, but it also differentiates the range of activities that are available at school. So in terms of enrolment, it might be, um, you know, as I think Luke also mentioned, you know, when you're looking to choose a school, having this esports program available might be the difference between someone choosing you know, you know, your institute over another. And there's also the crossover into other subjects. So that, you know, this is something that the you know, a school or university or, or anyone in education can use as an opportunity to engage students that's going to bring them into other subjects and cross-functional skills and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's a big, a big opportunity and a little slide on the, uh, like quote on the slide we've got there saying that 68% of students are actually um, looking at the technology at the school and what's on offer, the same as on, you know, the parents uh, in terms of, you know, what, where they choose to go. So hopefully that kind of relates to... Yeah, make their decisions. To implement an esports room with all the gaming computers sounds quite expensive though and school budgets are quite tight. So what advice would you guys offer cash strapped schools that are interested in esports? Um, I mean, perhaps Raf can speak directly about the sort yep. of minimum requirements, but I think this, it's a great question because it's obviously one of the main concerns. I think if you're looking to revamp your entire IT lab, then that's well, it doesn't come cheap, and it's something that the schools are probably looking to do anyway. And then if you're asking them, okay, actually, but we also need to have a minimum your 2080 Ti. That means every single computer super expensive, but it's not necessarily the case that you have to hit the the top back of this. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to mention there, there is the opportunity, which we discussed a little bit earlier, to introduce console, but the scalability can be a bit of an, uh, an issue there because there's not so many 
uh, titles are played on console, and you probably will also require PC for other aspects of it, whether it be production or like working on the, the other parts of the uh, esports uh, industry that Matthew mentioned. Um, yeah, that's a part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, when you look at the esports landscape, the competitive games, it's, it's a wide range, like 10, 15, 20 different games, and perhaps even more, um, kind of depending where, whether you look at tier one esports, tier two, tier three esports, it's, it's really dependent and quite, you know, quite a wide range. So f I think from a school perspective, just understanding, okay, well, I'm going to understand my demographic first, like who, who are my students and what games are they interested in? Perhaps, you know, for some reason, your um, student demographic over indexes on League of Legends in particular, so you know that means you have a, a certain a level of system requirement or perhaps your demographic is interested in a different game where it's a lot more uh, system intense so understanding the demographic first understanding their needs understanding the game in particular and then off the back of that understanding what the system requirements are for league of legends and counter-strike in particular it's actually not that high mm. nowadays um you know computers who are able to run Counter-Strike and League of Legends smoothly. It's the requirements are quite low. I mean, it's to, I think it's like an i3 minimum, which is nowadays. I think you can probably buy a system between you know the 300 to 500 pound range for one computer. I mean, that's you know a lot more digestible than the thousands of pounds that usually people try to um, you know mention. Um, and I think yeah, it's just understanding the the minimum system requirements, and then again, just getting creative. I mean, perhaps it's just you know you get your students to bring their own computers to to school or their laptops or their phones. I mean, there is, there's possibilities there as well. Yeah, bring your own device is definitely possible. Um, yeah. But aside from uh, you know, asking the student body to get involved in that way, um, if you do decide to invest again, it does depend on the demographic and which level you're trying to look at uh, of the education, w w which games you want to play. Um, but you will also um, potentially, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, so I think probably what you're trying to say is that by having um, sort of a range of options open, um, you can you can find a starting point basically. So whether it is console as a low entry barrier point, um, or whether you can in, you know look at what you've already got. You know, don't forget that we're sitting in a professional esports team here, so they have to have the best of the best mm -hmm. and the certain requirements. You know, but if you've got people that already play games, they're already playing on you know what they've got at home. Uh, and consoles are still a consideration, you know, games like FIFA are still an eSport e and, and that actually might be something that you can get buy-in from maybe other teachers that are, are more sports coaches or whatever. So it doesn't necessarily have to be what you see as eSports as, as an industry and a brand because that's what's promoted at the, the high level. Um, but, you know, who knows, you know, we might be using the minimum spec and actually beat uh, some team and we go, actually, we've done this on the lowest minimum requirements. Yeah. That, that could be something that's, you know, worth... Um, you know, marketing effort from someone, you know. But if you do go in for the full investment, this is where my brain dropped out of my head before, um, you can make use of it for a lot of other areas. Yeah, that's so what I was going to touch on there. It's cross-functional yeah. completely, exactly. Yeah. You can use the high-spec graphics cards and other functions of the systems to handle, like, really graphic-intensive other applications, whether it be graphic design, your 3D rendering, these sorts of things in artistic pursuits, and, and your video and the technological stuff is going to also be able to make use of this these equipment you've, you've invested yeah. in. For sure. I mean, this you know, it doesn't have to be a full-time esports computer lab. This can be music production, video yeah. production. We're sitting here now with all of this camera technology and whatnot. And you know, if it's an extracurricular activity for schools, then this will be an after-school thing. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be taken up uh, in the daytime. It could be enrichment, or you know, it could just be a facility in a university. Yeah, uh, I, th I think in addition to that, I think it's just scalability. It's kind of starting off the baseline and just again. Um, understanding, you know, how, what the demand is in particular in your school. You don't have to start out with a, you know, 25, 30, 40 man setup. You can start off with a five man setup or a four man setup where it's okay. You, you kind of just you know, create this baseline, see whether the students actually, um, you know, react to it quite well, and then you can look to scale that. I mean, the, the beautiful thing, the thing about esports and gaming, I think you've also briefly touched on it. It's it's so it's so broad, it's so wide, it's accessible to absolutely everybody. There's no uh, gender doesn't matter how you know tall you are, how big you are, how, you know it really doesn't matter. Uh, I think scalability is the, the, the big kind of uh, takeaway here. It's starting off with a you know a minimum level and then look to scale that um, if the reaction to it is, is good. Yeah, so start somewhere if it takes off and the, you know the students are realizing they need maybe more investment on a higher refresh rate monitor or something like yeah, that. Sure that might come later yeah. on, but you know, base it on sort of you know what you've got and you know what you can play with. But I think the, the number one thing to take away from this is, you know, don't be uh, afraid of, of going in at the, the the sort of budget and spec that you can afford. It, you know, but just having the team in the first place is probably 
um, you know, the first step in the right direction. Um, so that kind of brings us on to um, another aspect, which is cross-curricular alignment. So by having this eSports program or uh, club in, in the school or uni, um, you can also use this as an opportunity to actually uh, look at um, STEM or STEAM or different kind of curriculum alignments between the curriculum in school or what the student at the university. So at the moment we've got this uh, beautiful gaming room that's kitted out with high-end PCs and, and monitors, but this interactive flat panel is really the same sort of technology that you'd expect to find in a classroom. So what that effectively does is turn this into also a teaching space as well, into a classroom. So, you know, as part of those esports uh, teams, you can, you know, sit people down and start to think about game mechanics and game design and how that relates to, you know, computer science and development. You've also got like, the mathematics behind, uh, you know, League of Legends. You know, we've got a little illustration on here that shows the, the damage multiplier of a certain character, you know, thinking how, how does that get created? How do they come up with that? Um, you know, you've got simulators, uh, uh, you know, f using physics simulations to, to drive an F1 car. Um, and also the inf IT infrastructure, so the server requirements, those interested in IT. Um, you know, there's a lot of crossover. Um, and also we've got design and technology included on there as well. So, you know, if you've got students that you want to engage in building things and making things and engineering, then, you know, think about how, does, how is this ergonomic chair built and why, you know, ergonomic uh, mouse and, you know, chairs and keyboards yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I think what you're touching on there is the, the way that eSports is usable as a case study because it's such a flourishing industry now, it's all these career opportunities that we mentioned earlier, um, you can easily take it as a case study for, for whichever different subject you're looking to teach, you know, your mathematics, your engineering, your technology, your art, even as I said with game design uh, or, or writing in that same area, um, because it's such a high interest topic for, for young people and for students, then you can use this as a great topic to engage them. Uh, in the lesson content further. Yeah, you can use it as a hook or, or a pathway. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also not just esports playing games, there's also the whole production that goes behind that. So running a tournament, social media, graphic design, web development, you know, filming. There's so much to it, um, you know, it's whatever you make it really. Yeah, that's it. So how exactly did you, do you see esports being integrated into the curriculum or into just a, a class? I think this is really down to the, the educator on, on, you know, once they sort of have something set up, they can sort of see how the students are using the equipment so they can see kind of like opportunities so you know you could maybe have a project in one of the lessons that sort of relates to esports as an industry or, or as a you know as an activity that the students engaged in so you've already got them uh, interested and passionate about something it's just a way to kind of segue them into other things and think you know why don't you do this i mean i, I studied music technology and i loved sort of like djing and drum and bass when i was growing up and things yeah so if they did a if they did a lesson about a certain DJ maybe in a history class the history aspect of the the DJ's yeah. life th that would engage you more in the topic and I feel that that's one of the best ways you can actually introduce it into a classroom setting because there's a lot of different benefits in the cross-curricular alignment section f of you know taking part in esports a lot of uh, transferable skills and like Matt touched on just before you've got the other roles that are involved when you're making the esports society or when you're doing what you're doing but in the actual class it's, it's probably going to be a, a ref reference resource uh, or something which gives you content yeah, I mean, when you talk about STEM and STEAM and things like this, it's really just trying to be cross-curricular. So how do you, you know, bring all these things in? So, you know, the arts and stuff are all already involved, technology is involved. It's just a way of, you know, there's not necessarily off-the-shelf lesson plans, but as this emerges more and more, I'm sure there'll be more and more activities and, you know, companies that provide these kind of services. And, and it's going to it's gonna grow, basically. It's going to grow and there's going to be a lot more uh, to dig into. Yeah. I just want to touch also on those transferable skills because that's... <coughs> One of the things, I mean, the job market's noticing it and educators noticing it as well, that there, there is more and more documented evidence for the type of skills you're gaining whilst doing esports, problem solving, strategic thinking, a lot of cognitive stuff, which is really complex like, and kind of hard to track, but the amount of things you've got to process in one moment when you're playing an esports title is... It's, it's hard to compare to something else. If you have like, a brain training app or game, you're usually trying to complete one objective, whereas with esports, for example, League of Legends or Counter-Strike, you've got to try and work out what you're doing play it off against what the enemy team is doing, you assume, and then play off what you think, wait, what he thinks you're going to do and how you counter that in yeah, advance, exactly. right? And making those snap decisions. I mean, these are things which play in and are transferable to all aspects of life, not just career. I mean, yeah, uh, there's a lot of those. I mean, yeah, to add to that, the analogy I'd like to make to explain this world in layman's terms, it's kind of like esports is like five-dimensional chess. There are so many variables and different things happening at the same time with four different players on that same team you're playing against five other players. 
um, in addition to you know esports and gaming in particular at the pro level uh, for Fnatic, we have you know extensive teams behind these players to ensure that these guys play at the highest level possible so for our league of legends team in particular we have you know a sports psychologist um, a nutritionist um, we have uh, an analyst a head coach uh, strategist i mean the list goes on it's, it's really just this entire industry and this entire kind of you know framework to ensure that these guys play at the highest level and i mean to touch on uh, what you said around the you know the high level decision making that goes into uh, esports and gaming, you kind of just naturally develop that, and it's it's been shown in studies, and it's been shown in, in you know kind of people who tend to play games at a young age, and then later on, 10, 15 years later, um, they make these complex decisions kind of on the fly, on the snap, because um, they've used to play games at a high competitive level, which takes all these variables into one, and all of a sudden, you know, you create these these coherent um, cognitive skills that you previously couldn't do with other type. Of Cross-curricular uh, activities. Yeah, I think one thing you said there was re really, really good was about the um, the fact that it's played in a team, right? So there's all four of you are doing this. Yeah. So the coordination, communication aspect of that. Perhaps we didn't include that in the inclusion um, section, which maybe should have. But the the social implications of that are, are massive. Yeah. You know, it's turning people who, again, we touched on, might be not so engaged or might be isolated by their pursuit in gaming into you know fully functional team leaders, communicators, uh, yeah, and that's sure. that's a massive skill to gain. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such an opportunity for developing leadership skills, mm -hmm. developing, you know, just how to interact with your teammates, or, you know, in a, in a way that's, you know, healthy, um, learning things like healthy criticism, being able to give give feedback in a way that's, you know, well-received. I mean, it's no it's no secret at the end of the day, it's, it's, a com it's a competition, you know, you're trying to win. And with winning comes losing, and with losing comes winning. So being able to, um, you know, learn these things at an early, early stage through your educational um, kind of phase uh, in life, I think it's super, super important. I think from that, I, I hadn't really thought this before, but it just triggered it in my mind now. I think that gaming for me, I'm not that natural of a competitive person, but gaming for me was a place where I could um, thrive, yeah. Yeah, thrive that, actually be competitive mm -hmm. and, and not feel, I don't know, maybe bad about it or whatever, stopping me being competitive in other areas, but it's, it just naturally allowed me to do that and then explore that within myself. Sportsmanship, yeah, yeah competitive yeah. nature, all these different things as well, which are part of it, coordinating to achieve an objective as a team. There's, there's, there's so much to benefit from that. Yeah, exactly, and, and I think also in particular now in 2020, you know, for me personally, um, 10 years ago, I didn't have the opportunity to join uh, an esports team or a club in, in, in my school. Um, but nowadays, you know, because game, well, the reason for that mainly was because gaming was not really fully accepted in culture at the time. And I think a lot, a lot of it is in particular in, the, uh, in Europe, in Americas, and, and for sure in Asia, um, the kind of culture aspect is, is you know, it's, it's mainstream now. You know, everybody games. It's, it's not really a weird thing to do anymore. Um, people, you know, openly talk about it. It's their hobby. It's their passion. Uh, and I think, again, uh, to touch on my previous point around capturing an audience that you couldn't previously, now more than ever, is super relevant. Mm. I think esports probably plays quite a big role in, in what's made gaming become more mainstream. I mean, you have all the, the big streamers who've been noticed more recently and have done things in the media yep. which have gained attention for gaming in general. But having esports be this uh, perceived as a more serious pursuit, it's not just you sitting in your bedroom by yourself with a pizza playing games, it's, it's, it's something different now. And I think in that sense, you know, esports is a, a really important hook for a lot of people, potentially, that's going to lead to all these other avenues that we've discussed. Um, and this kind of leads us nicely onto the careers and continued education opportunities that are also part of the esports journey. And if we kind of look at the, the statistics, we've already seen uh, sort of in the intro that the, the job market is, is increasing massively. But we're also seeing now in the UK emerging courses, uh, specialist degrees and master's programs. Um, there's also a lot of level three courses coming out as well that's tapping into those students, maybe when they're leaving school, going through college, um, you know, that are giving them cross-functional skills. And maybe, Raf, you can sort of talk about uh, Fnatic as a company and all the different kind of people that you employ here and, you know, how that kind of scales up as a, you know, as an industry. Definitely. I mean, perhaps we could start off with the pro gaming department in particular, right? So the pro gaming department consists of kind of the, the framework, the unit that oversees our talent. So all of our 61 professional players, I mean, if we didn't have any managers or team directors or coaches making sure that these guys are kept on a leash and making sure that they're you know doing what they're supposed to be doing i mean at the end of the day they're they're employees right they are contracted yeah. to practice 
to compete, to produce content. I mean, the list goes on. So how do you, what, what framework do you put in place to, to ensure that these guys are actually you know, doing what they're supposed to do? And um, more importantly, ensuring that these guys have the, the foundation and the tools necessary to, to do what they do, to compete, to win all the tournaments. I mean, it's, it's not an easy task. So, like some of these guys are on, you know, insanely difficult training schedules. It's, and people have the perception that esports and gaming, oh, it's all fun and games. But really, when you look at it, these guys are the top 0.00001% of talent, um, you know, have these extensive training schedules between, you know, 10 and 14 hours a day. Um, some of these players have incentives to make uh, in their contract built in to exercise, to eat healthy, um, to, to sleep, uh, you know, plenty of time. Like, not even kidding, we actually have an incentive for players to actually um, sleep an eight hours minimum uh, because otherwise they'll, they'll be playing, you know, 14, 15 hours a day because it's their passion, they want to do it and everything else. But yeah, to touch on the, the job opportunities in particular, I mean, on one side, we have the pro gaming department who looks after the talent, who looks after our players. And that consists of uh, managerial. So we have the managers, the team directors. We have the operational managers who looks who look after the processes and make sure that you know, let's say a, a commercial partner is onboarded. We have a certain type of deliverable, making sure that these players do it. Um, travel agents, making sure that these guys are traveling all over the globe. I mean, to, to put a stat out there, our Counter Strike team they travel on average 180 days a year. Um, so these guys are all over the place all the time, competing in all these tournaments globally. You need a lot of support. Um, then, I mean, commercial, the, where I work, so the partnerships team in particular. Uh, we on, have on one side the, the business development team, which is sales. You know, amazing opportunities for people who perhaps are enrolled in this esports program, who are leaders, who are natural, outgoing, um, you know, kind of people who, who just love to talk. Um, and, and perhaps from that, there is an opportunity with their extensive esports knowledge, with their education, to go into a, a commercial role where it's like, okay, you're client facing, you're talking to brands, etc., etc. Um, we have our content team, which is our production. So all the way from social media, social media managers, um, kind of uh, you know, ensuring that our brand guidelines are adhered to, talking to our audience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, video editors, producers. I mean, the list is very extensive. HR, legal, finance. I mean, we, we are a business, we, like a fully fledged business, just like any other. And um, the opportunities that come from that is is huge. And that's just that's just one small portion of it. That's just fanatic as an esports organization, as a rights holder. As I mentioned previously, there are publishers in this ecosystem. There are um, there are event organizers. I mean, the list is so extensive. And I think um, you know, going in the next five to ten years, especially, there are going to be so much, so many more opportunities as this industry is growing as gaming is growing, um, it, it's just, yeah, it, it's a no-brainer. So, Raf, what, what, what advice would you give a student looking who aspires to work in the esports industry? Definitely. So, I think the main thing is um, setting up a, a solid foundation. So, obviously, having an education is extremely important. Uh, making sure you have a level of education. Networking is extremely important. So the people that you, you know, maybe even practice with or play with in your esports clubs, maybe that particular person goes on to play for a team or work for a team rather, um, that gives you an in. I think the main thing here is just don't see esports and gaming as this kind of different thing from a uh, different business, for example. So I, I, I will, you know, I would, I'll compare it to uh, a traditional ad agency, for example. We're not so different from an agency. We're not so different from a, a rights holder or a football team. We're a business. We have you know, pretty much the exact same roles and, and um, kind of uh, jobs like any other business does. It just so happens to be esports and gaming. For me in particular, and on the business side of things, on the commercial, on the sales side of things, I basically don't touch esports and gaming. Uh, and, and the player side of things, I'm, I'm purely focused on commercial. So if I were to go and um, you know, do sales in a, in a football team or whatever it is, I have those transferable skills. And if anything, it's, it's a positive thing. I'm, you know, I'm trying to sell this kind of big question mark for a lot of people, in a, you know, it's an unknown product in an unknown market. So for a lot of brands, it brings a lot of question marks. So all of a sudden, if I go and I sell apple juice, like it's, it's very one-dimensional, very straightforward. Yeah, and I think you, you basically hit on transferable skills. And I think for me, that's the most important part. So, you know, whether it's, you know, you want to be a YouTuber or a gamer or, you know, whatever it is, it's following those kind of different vocations and, and, and courses and kind of learning skills that you can kind of help develop yourself. So, you know, if you're a gamer, being able to stream, being able to produce content, you know, being able to do social media, you know, being able to set up your computer and your IT sort of stuff, these are all skills that you're going to learn by on that, on that esports journey. So there's definitely a huge crossover. And as we can see on the slide, 
there's a massive amount of uh, esports kind of uh, job categories that are, that are there, and, and like Raf said, they're very much relatable to other industries. You know, music, performing arts, <laughs> entertainment. You know, it's it's all yeah. part of a larger industry. Yeah, sure. I mean, like you're saying, in, in answer to Jenna's question, um, as well about uh, the advice you'd give to people looking to get into esports, um, unless you're going to be an esports player per se, or you have a real affini affinity to the game, then essentially you're going to be working with whatever your skill set is. I mean, it depends how early on the student journey you are, exactly. uh, I guess. But for example, if you're a 16 year old looking at this, then what are your focus areas? What are your, your strengths? And how could you put those into, uh, into the esports industry, basically? Which role would you take within yep. the organization that REF's part of, for example, or at the tournament organizer level? There's plenty of event management administrators, as you've got on the screen uh, for I think, believe that's from the British Esports Association, a list of uh, the roles which are, which they're saying are currently involved in esports, which includes the observers and the commentators as well, and the hosts of the events, um, as well as the support staff, which are behind the uh, the pro gaming team, like the coaches, analysts, and people like that. So there really is a full range. Um, there's not much that's cut out of it, as far as I can see. So making sure you've got contact with esports and continuing your passion there, but developing your other skills and getting a good education, I think that'll serve you perfectly well to get in the industry. Yeah, and definitely, I think to summarize, essentially it's you know, laying down a, a good foundation, so i.e. Um, transferable skills, relevant work experience. You know, if you're, um, I mean, you touched on it, right? If you're 16, 17 years old and you want to be a pro player, but you've been trying really hard for the last two years and you're not really quite getting there, sometimes just realizing, okay, well, perhaps I'm not, you know, not, I don't have the skills to be a pro player or I don't have the uh, tools necessary, So, but I really love esports and gaming. Perhaps I go down a different path. Perhaps I try and work in esports and gaming. So in order to achieve that, um, yeah, foundation, you know, education is extremely important. Um, ensuring you have the relevant work experiences, doing internships, etc., etc., and then networking is a huge, huge part. So knowing the right people, um, going out to esports and gaming events, and just talking to people. You know, right. what what are you doing? Uh, oh, can I get in, get in touch with you? Let's grab a coffee. I mean, it's all about you know, it's all about people and, and relevant work experience. I'd say. I think because as educators, this is kind of where we come in. You know, it's identifying those interests in students early on. It's nurturing that talent and the directions that they can take with the skills that they have. Uh, you know the career service as well, and sort of looking at your options. These are your skills. These might be your weaknesses. You know, um, you know this is the journey that a lot of us have been on throughout our own vocations, and you know we've we've wanted to be, you know, this that the other, and you know we've you know esports and Japanese and music and whatever else. But we all sort of like you know go through, uh, you know, those phases. And I think if education is taking a proactive approach on esports, then you know the the opportunities that are there for the students, it's really gonna you know, spark something inside them to sort of follow things through and, and have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think this slide essentially speaks for itself on, you know, why why should esports be involved in education, at least on the careers and continued educa education um, standpoint. You've got more continued further education degrees and, and courses coming up, which you can take advantage of, and a, a huge range of, of career opportunities to, to be engaged with. So, no-brainer. So I think the the next part of it really is to think that how as a someone that might be using edtech or might be you know an, a teacher in in a classroom, how do you kind of take all this and kind of how do you even implement it? How do you even make something that becomes educational? Mm. And really, this is kind of the the fifth pillar, um, which is about esports coaching and player development. So I think the the first step really is probably to kind of get an understanding of what an esports coach actually is and kind of what they do and how integral they are in the esports uh, journey and for, for a pro team. So maybe hand over to Raf just to talk about the role of coach and maybe some of the other people or analysts and nutritionists and psychologists that are part of yeah. the team. I already briefly mentioned it earlier, right? So um, for Fnatic in particular, we define the coaching staff as the uh, framework and structure that is behind the players. So anyone who isn't a player but is directly involved in with the players um, is, is referred to as the coaching staff. So we have, um, let's touch off kind of with the, the analyst. So the analyst is essentially the, the data person, the, the mathematics behind the game. He essentially looks after, he or she looks essentially after, you know, everything from, you know, just, just hard numbers really. Like, okay, why at this time frame, at 20 minutes into the game, this team will do this decision. Okay, what does that mean in terms of the rotations and the flow of the game? Um, okay, if you buy this certain item, what does that mean, you know, tw five minutes down the line? I mean, everything regarding mathematics, everything regarding scouting, finding out what other teams are doing, um, that's kind of what the analyst does. Uh, then the coach, he's directly kind of involved with 
strategy. So everything revolving uh, in terms of like, okay, what's the strategy? What kind of approach are we going to take to this game before the game actually starts? Which um, champions are we going to pick? Um, what is the general kind of you know strategy we're going to do? Are we going to play really defensively? Are we going to play really aggressively? What is the game plan, and how do we best go about it? Taking into account all of your five players, six players, um, you know this player has this particular skill, so we're, we're going to be you know really focusing on that, and that's going to be you know our strategy build around that. That's essentially what the coach, the coach does. He's kind of the six man, the the kind of right hand of the team, the the person who's kind of the brains behind the team. Uh, then you have our managers who work on the day-to-day, -day. Um, so essentially, you know, making sure that these guys are um, have the right tools necessary to do what they do. So PC setups, everything else, food, um, making sure they, um, uh, you know, have everything included from travel. So making sure these guys are um, going to the right places at the right times. Um, you know, kind of the day-to-day -day management. Um, of the team in general. And then you have the team director who's kind of that one step above the, the manager. He looks after a bit more of the, the strategy and the player development. So that, that particular person will look after, you know, not just you know, what this is game, what is this player doing on a day-to-day, -day, but okay, what does this player's brand looks like? Okay, how can we help facilitate um, this this particular player, uh, his brand growth. How can we increase his audience? How can we help him, you know, create social media um, platforms? How can we help him create um, video content? How can we help him build his brand within the Fnatic network of talent? And then you have our chief gaming officer, Patrick. He looks looks and oversees absolutely everything. So um, that's kind of the from the top um, chief gaming officer, team director, managers. Then you have the analysts and the coaches, and then you have uh, support staff as well. So, um, kind of our sports psychologists. So we brought in um, a sports psychologist for uh, four teams now. Um, he essentially looks after the mental well-being of our players, making sure that these guys are performing at the highest level, making sure that um, you know, going back to our previous point around um, sportsmanship, you know, making sure that these guys are, you know, um, giving feedback to their players, uh, to their teammates in a in a really. You know, Productive way, um, all the way to you know stage fright. You know some of these guys are playing in front of 20, 25,000 people live. You know with millions of people watching, that brings a lot of stress and uh, stress and pressure. Um, and and you know a, a mental coach and a, and a sports psychologist is extremely important in that process. Uh, nutritionists, so um, you know we have full-time chefs and a nutritionist to make sure that these guys are you know eating the right things. You know healthy body, healthy mind. Um, it's it's truly just part of this well-oiled machine to make sure that these guys are playing at the highest level. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I suppose for someone tuning in and thinking that's a lot of things to probably consider about, you know, if I'm going to start an esports team, I've got all these responsibilities. Well, one thing that you can do is, like, from my point of view, I, I'm from an education background, so I've got no game experience in League of Legends or in any real esports game. Um, but I can act as a facilitator, so as, a, as a teacher, as a lecturer, as someone that can, uh, you know, be a coach in some ways. I can facilitate someone like Raf or someone like Luke to actually be that student coach as part of that team. So all these different roles are not necessarily something that you have to take on. Um, it's just giving them uh, the opportunity to actually facilitate and sort of provide for that. Yeah. Uh, we said briefly earlier the esports is kind of putting structure to gaming making it a pursuit and then the coaching for me and for I think for ViewSonic hopefully for Fnatic as well as we're looking to innovate through them um, is the coaching is what turns esports into an even more structured and organized sort of feedback process it gives it that developmental yeah, process that, that you're then aiming to improve, aiming to then gain and critically evaluate your performance and, yeah. and improve over time. Yeah, and I'd say that the interesting thing with the, the partnership with Fnatic is actually we're almost kind of in reverse at Fnatic. So Fnatic has got their, their high-end gaming PCs, gaming monitors, and before we had the, the, the interactive panel, they were just using a standard screen. So what we've done by bringing the interactive panel in here is effectively turn this into more of a class-based environment and also able to sort of give the coach um, you know, more of an educator kind of role. So it's almost bringing the ed tech into the esports, yeah. and then they can kind of use some of the practices that teachers might be using. And I think this is where it's going to grow. So as more ed tech and esports kind of collide together, uh, the sort of best practices of both industries will sort of merge. Yeah. Um, and kind of if we want to go through um, kind of what this solution looks like, I can kind of go through this on this slide. So um, we've got the gaming PCs, which are down the side here, and, and the gaming monitors. Um, and they're connected to this interactive flat panel display, which is basically the same kind of display you'd have in a classroom situation. So it's a digital whiteboard and it's got lots of connectivity. 
Um, there's an Android PC in there and also a Windows PC. And you can also connect in all of the computers. So all of these machines can be wirelessly casted to this display. So as a coach or as a facilitator, I can help uh, you know, get the students into a mindset of how to look at player development, how to use this to do strategy and that sort of thing. And I think this is probably a good point for us to sort of maybe show that a little bit in action yeah. um, so that you can kind of get a feel for how these things come together. Um, yeah, so should we have to go through that? So yeah, do a bit of a demonstration of what might be an example. Uh, Matt will be the role of the teacher facilitator for this and myself as that placeholder uh, student coach. Again, my League of Legends knowledge is a bit out of date as well. As you can, I'm sure you'll tell by the champion picks. I've got Garen at top instead of ADC. That's a bit of a bad one. Eh? So let me just explain the setup. So what we have here is this is an interactive display. So it's a touchscreen, and we have a built-in PC. So this is running a Windows PC that acts as the digital whiteboard. So this is kind of what you can use as your presentation display. We then got six computers down here that can all be running games. And uh, on this computer over here, I'm just going to run this game in the background so we can get something running. Um, but essentially, this is a digital whiteboard. It's called My Viewboard. Um, it's an open software platform in that you can, you can install this on any computer. There's no restrictions on uh, hardware luck or um, the sort of the amount of users that you can have. And what we've got here is we've got an image. This is just an image from Google Images that we've brought in of a map uh, of League of Legends. And as a, as a facilitator, I can basically present this as a solution and say, right, Luke, as a, as a student, why don't you try using this as a coach? What, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. What would be the strategy or the preparation that you would sort of provide insight for your team? Yeah, so I mean, Raf touched a little bit earlier on the, the coaching staff and what the different roles are. Um, and obviously, these are to achieve different ends uh, during the training, reviewing, player development process. So you're either going to be analysing the opposing team uh, from their past games and trying to work out what they're doing, trying to work out how you can uh, counter that. You're going to be reviewing your own play to work out what you can do better, how you can better sync as a team, or how you can improve. Um, or you might also then be using this um, the view board as Matt said, it's the marriage of education and the esports in this way. It's providing that uh, technological solution, which is essentially just for teaching and, and purveying information. Um, you might also use that for, for educating them on the strategy or, or at least running through a strategy. So just as a basic example of that, we'd have on Team A, you might have Garen Top and Jack Stop for Team B. And again, forgive me for the placements. Again, probably Season 3 or something. Knowledge of the game here. But yeah, so still positioning. this kind of insight is something as an educator I won't have. I don't have any game time in this. So, you know, for someone that might be looking at this thinking, I don't understand what's going on right now, you don't really need to. You just need to be there to sort of provide uh, this opportunity to, to sort of let the students do that. So now this is just an example of, of some champion picks. Again, you would obviously, that would be part of the strategy, which champions you're picking. And uh, you would be trying to predict what the enemy champions are picking, for example. But... Um, so what might be a good idea here is to highlight who's on which team. So maybe just yeah. uh, sort of highlight sort of the colours and just circle the, the team members so we get an idea of what this looks like from a strategic point of view. Yeah, so we have our teams all marked in blue here, as you can see. And then enemy team, mark those in red. So it's all clear. Forgive me for standing in front of the panel. Um, and then you might make some very basic insights. Again, I am not a coach, but if you, for example, wanted to articulate your strategy for this game as your bottom lane playing defensively, you might say, okay, don't go past this line to your bottom. And then to your person, your player who's playing top, you say, okay, we want to actually try and push down this lane, leaving the, the mid to do as, as he or she wishes. Um, and then from that, you might be able to move on to the next part of the strategy, saying, okay, by if this is the beginning of the game, by the third minute, we might be looking to push with two people up the top lane, or we might be looking to take advantage of the defensive position we're taking in the bottom lane. So what we might do up here is actually put um, you know, some timers on there. Sure. And then what we can do is say that this is uh, you know, the first part of the game, so within the first sort of five seconds, five minutes, this is where we want to start. This is something to. we're looking to happen. Um, and then we can save this. So obviously this is already on the board, it's already saved, but we can actually do uh, a couple of things with the board. So we can obviously screen capture and kind of make uh, this into something that we can build up as a storyboard later on. So we've actually got all of our sort of strategies all aligned. So now this is an image that we can say, right, that's, that's for here. That's and the then first change stage. our time and, and carry on. Um, yeah. And this is actually a full digital whiteboard with an infinite canvas. So if I move this along, we might actually go a little bit more back to basics because maybe someone's not understanding 
okay, what's this map actually represent? I get that you want to be in this location, but you know, what do we have going on here? Sorry. Yeah, as, as Matt said, this is more, more of a basic example. If you've got a new player coming in, this is quite a basic setup of the points of interest on the map. Might be interesting just for demonstration purposes. Um, and again, you've got these, these yellow lines here are sort of uh, articulating the line of play, which then you can provide some insight in a different sort of way. Um, again, learnings here saying if you go over this yellow line, you're opening yourself up to attack from this champion. Um, so you shouldn't go within there because then he'll be able to shoot you, for example. So you should be this side of the line. That's one of the observations as an example of an observation you could offer there. Um, and then go back to the, the basic map we had over here with the basic uh, points of interest from the map. And then this is a way to display, for example, how that might change throughout the game. So you see that the red team in this example have pushed down the top lane. Uh, which now opens up this area of the map for them, meaning that they now take this area and the blue team is sort of trapped in this area. Um, again, talking about the strategy, talking about how you might react to that. These will be different parts of your coaching journey, potentially. Yeah, so this kind of represents preparation, uh, strategy, uh, using the sort of whiteboard as a way to, as a tool to actually get everyone to sit around and sort of be part of this uh, coaching session. Uh, but if we go to the next slide, we also have the option for game analysis. So this could be a game that's being played um, by professionals. So right now we've got um, a League of Legends Pro View, which basically gives us the video feeds of professional tournaments. And we can actually load this up live on the browser. So if I uh, load this up here, I can actually show sort of live feeds of this in action. So we can have a map view here. We've got the broadcaster's view and also a POV point of view from the player, which um, you know if you're actually trying to to learn how the pros are playing, this is a really useful resource to sort of uh, you know see strategies in action and how they're used. Yeah, you may end up picking your your timestamps, your points of interest through the game, things where something interesting happened. Go and start talking about that, and whichever video platform you're trying to use, you can open that within my viewboard. Or if you're using software like this uh, ProView, as Matt said, you can also open that within. Yeah, so it's just basically just an integrated web browser that's available inside the whiteboard. And obviously, because mm -hmm. it's inside the whiteboard, you've also got the annotation functionalities on there as well. So you can actually discuss this and go, this is a really interesting moment here. Let's capture that back to the board. Um, and again, you've got the opportunity to look at different types of game analysis. So this is just one type of um, content that you can bring in. Of course, you've also got things like YouTube, which you can directly embed um, in a similar fashion. So just here and press play so yeah we can bring in YouTube videos and embed them into the canvas Turn off from there. and then the other thing that we can look at is actually with all of these computers that are synchronized to the board we can actually bring those displays in as well so here's the screen capture I've just taken uh, from the live feed that we were looking at but if I just go over here I can actually bring in the live uh, coach um, PC over here that's actually been used to run our replay. So this is actually the PC connected to the screen. If I just start this replay again, you'll see that I can now play. Uh, any of the PC screens can be thrown up here. So if you want to practice broadcasting, you could have six windows up here and, and think about how do we edit this, how do we talk about it, how do we build up a storyboard. So there's lots of different ways for you to connect the eSports technology in with the EdTech solution. So if you're already familiar with this from a sort of classroom context, it's really just uh, the marriage of the two two solutions and how they interconnect yeah, and how you before, bring content. Whatever you're looking to communicate, whether it's um, teaching, whether it's analysis, this is the, the medium through which you can do it. <coughs> and for example, yeah, eSports player development. So then if you're looking at the replays that you've had or the, the screenshots that you've taken from that and making a storyboard of what you might be trying to achieve, then you may, you know, you're, you're making your observations, you're getting your insights, and then you're you're giving actions after that as well for for the continued development. So you might just start writing, you know, player one, practice X, Y, Z, and yeah. and besides that, you've got plenty of other observations and. Uh, yeah, so actions coach, that you, you can, can then you know talk about. Okay, remember the strategy that you're you're using. Yeah, okay, these are just basic examples of, of the type of thing you're going to be writing. But whatever your purpose is, whatever you're trying to achieve in that coaching session, in that review session, uh, this is the perfect way to present it. Yeah, 
Yeah, so you've got like that. Remember your observation, insight, action. And then this can be saved and then shared. So with this directly connecting with the cloud drives. So if you've got maybe OneDrive or Google Drive and all the students are using that already, save it, share it out. They can access it on their PCs at home. They can use it on the PCs here. And this is really a content creation tool that everyone can use. So it doesn't have to be in front of the screen. It could be you know, on a PC, mouse and keyboard, or a tablet, or touch laptop. You know, and it might be that you set a task that, as a, as a player, I want you to go through this process and do a self-reflection. So I want to see you present me like your reflection of that match. Sure. So it's bringing everybody in uh, you know, to play that role, basically. So again, you're developing your presentation skills and, and you know, use of this sort of technology. Mr. you can whatever you're doing in your session, you can save, screenshot, create files from, share afterwards, use it for follow-up, but you can also, using the same functions, uh, have all of your content available yeah. to bring in as well. So whatever you're doing, you've got single sign-on here as well with all your different Google Drive, Dropbox, et cetera, synced up. So whatever you're looking to use as your resource platform, you can yeah, open that up and, and yeah. bring it in from here, direct. So it's probably a good point to... Um, sort of wrap up the sort of features and, and questions and sort of yeah. go through next steps. Um, sure, take this back to where it was before. Yeah, go back to the front. And then let's just move that across. There we go. So there's your strategy for today. A wonderful strategy for today, and yeah. you can start playing it on that PC in a minute after this. <laughs> so, sure. Let's sit back down here. Okay, so... Yeah. Just a, a very brief demonstration, and again, kind of e exemplary example of, of how it might be used. Matt being the teacher, knowing nothing about League of Legends. Me pretending to be a student <laughs> who knows a bit about League of Legends, uh, ideally... And you Raph know. knowing a lot about League of Legends. Raph knowing a lot about League of Legends, so we didn't involve in that at all. But, yeah. again, it's just to demonstrate what's possible through the features and functions. And, yeah, we're working together with Fnatic on, on how exactly we can, uh, as you said, innovate they can innovate their coaching and player development process through us and how we can innovate um, in what we're doing, bringing our edge tech solutions to yeah. the market. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for Fnatic, on the programming side of things and the play performance and, and the coaching in particular, I think it's just really stepped things up for us. Uh, it's added a completely new element. It's gotten players, to be honest, sometimes even on board with certain um, coaching and development aspects like people you know tend to react really well to these type of things because it's m much more interactive rather than you know the coach just telling them on a on a quick powerpoint slide on a small 12 inch screen um, with no interactivity you know it's oftentimes it's hard to capture these guys um, you know short attention attention spans don't really want to hear what, what what you have to say you know big egos etc all of a sudden you bring the solution in place where not only the coach and, and the management um, have kind of a platform to really um, extend what they want to say what they what they want to bring across to the the players it's also a way to engage the players in a really authentic and organic way Sorry guys, just we're, we're fast running out of time, Sorry. so I've got some questions here for you. Um, this is from Carla. She said schools tend to have and are required to have very secure firewalls, and so how would you uh, advise schools to deal with that? Yeah, I guess, I mean, for sure you're going to need to have sort of your IT people involved, and I think this is a nice way to sort of look at how to set up a safe environment to sort of be played. So there's obviously network requirements and firewall restrictions. But if you imagine you know, players playing outside of school with kind of unmoderated, unregulated kind of content, it could be that as uh, you know, as someone that wants to set up an esports club, you know, you bring the IT support into that. So they've got you know moderation on the chat rooms. They've unblocked the right ports. The you know to make sure everything runs correctly. And if it is something that's been you know used at specific times of the day, then you know things like the bandwidth on the network can be optimised so it doesn't affect other people. Um, there's certainly a lot of considerations on the technical side of things. Um, but yeah, for sure, you'd need to, to sort of bring in uh, you know the IT people to sort of help you with that. Yeah. Um, but it's you know for sure it's definitely possible um, you know within the network. Yeah. Great. Um, maybe one more quick question, and then we'll probably have to close up, guys. So um, this is also from Carla. There are ways of opening specific ports that will allow just okay. Let's take that back. I, that makes no sense. That question. I'm sorry. <laughs> the previous one then is probably that each game requires a different set of ports to open in the connection, and right. you 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 do have to do that. You can't get around it really, as far as I'm aware. Um, but your IT team should be the ones to to discuss that yeah, with. I mean, you, you, for any sort of software you're trying to integrate, you would have to probably engage in that kind of process. Um, and yeah, as Matt was saying, yeah. it's just 
get your IT, IT team involved and they should be able to help you. Yeah, there's standard ports that you need to use for many things on, on the internet, but you can obviously lock down certain applications and you can have things running you know, on a specific part of the network or a sandbox or however you want to run it. So there's definitely ways to secure that if, you, if you're worried about security and privacy and things. And I think that's where actually you know, education institutes can almost serve that purpose because you know, people at home not necessarily going to be able to do that. So there's probably more, you know, it's, it's probably harder to sort of manage it yourself, you know, on your own than it is to sort of do that from a, you know, an institutional point of view. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so, yeah, just to wrap things up then, we've got kind of just a couple of tips really just for anyone looking to sort of get started. Um, first step is really just to find someone in the school that can kind of be the champion to sort of start this process. It so, yeah, it could be you. Yeah, <laughs> if you've got an interest in esports or you want to look at this, you know, start, start looking into some of the options. Select a game, advertise it to the students, get the feedback, look at your minimum requirements with the equipment that you've got. Um, you know, you can go through you know, based on the game, um, also based on, you know, your budget. Um, and then there's obviously um, joining a tournament. So um, we've linked a couple of uh, organisations, British Esports Association, National Student Esports, and the National University Esports League can all kind of point you in really good directions on how to get set up and get into leagues and things like that. Um, and then really the next steps for us is if you're interested in learning more about these products and seeing some live demos and workshops, we're going to be at the BET show. Uh, it's actually next week, the 22nd to the 25th of January. Uh, we're on booth SK30, so come and um, give us a visit. Um, we've got lots of stuff going on throughout the days. If you want to look at the software, you can actually register for that on myviewboard.com. And like I said, it's not hardware restricted to specific brand. You can use it on any, any device. So yeah, mybeable.com, register yourself um, and have a play with the software and come and ask some questions at BET. And if you want any more kind of um, articles, blogs, white papers and all that kind of stuff, um, we've got the ViewSonic library and an eSports section there. It's got lots of articles and research into the topic, which might be helpful for you just to sort of do a little bit of reading. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess that's it from us. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your time.